As Jesse said, we'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Please follow along with me as we read from God's word. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Janae. Good morning, Encounter Church. Glad uh, to be able to gather with you. Just uh, it is during it is that kind of that often that um, that most wonderful time of the year, right? Often we call it that with Christmas caroling, uh, drive-through Christmas caroling. I want to emphasize, uh, re-emphasize what Jesse said. It really is a fun fun time. Uh, so even if you are a horrible singer, I encourage you to come and join with us as we inevitably, it seems like we sing Feliz Navidad probably 20 to 25 times during the course of the night, but it's a great time. And also we have our Christmas Eve Eve service coming up and that is on a Saturday, December 23rd, uh, just a couple weeks away. And we need all of you as a church family rolling up your sleeves and helping out with that. I know it's easy to just kind of roll in and show up and, and go through the food line and, and uh, let other people serve you. But often uh, this service, this particular service, Eve Eve, is a, it's a, it really is a ministry to our community. I know a number of our friends and family members, uh, we're inviting them on that evening. And so we need all hands on deck uh, to be able to help out with that. And Joyce has put together some sign-up sheets out at the information table. I know Charles and, and Denise also are working on putting teams together to serve. And I want to encourage you, actually it's at the communion table, I believe, uh, just outside those doors. Look at those sheets and identify a couple ways, one or two ways that you can really get involved and be a part of that. Um, that way we're not just relying on uh, just a couple people to serve us, but instead all of us together uh, that, that we can experience really the blessing that it is to serve one another in that. So I uh, encourage you to do that. It's a fun time of year. All right, so here we find ourselves um, again at our, with our current teaching series on Advent, uh, Learning to Wait. And we find ourselves here in Second Peter chapter 3. Um, on Friday morning, I had scheduled a, uh, an early morning breakfast with a friend and I don't eat at Bob Evans or down on the farm very often, but uh, we had set up a time to go uh, to eat at Bob Evans up here off Hurstbourne. And so I actually got there early. I was willing to wait on him. I got there a little bit early, and I had a stack of books that I took in with me. Uh, just as I was waiting, I could do, do a little bit of reading and some studying. And then uh, as I'm waiting there, I got a text message from him telling me that uh, he wasn't going to be able to make it after all. 
Well, I'd already sat down, and I already had a mug of coffee, and I already had Buffy, who was taking care of me, this lady, and I thought, I can't just, like, leave her, you know, I, I, I don't want to just not, not eat something, so I ordered a bowl of, of loaded oatmeal, which was anything but healthy, but it was really good, and the oatmeal makes me feel like it's healthy, and uh, so, so I got this oatmeal, and I'm sitting there doing some reading, and then, you know, midway, I had to take a quick restroom break because I drank too much coffee, and as I'm, as I'm walking to the restroom, this lady um, uh, an older couple, they're sitting there, and they were there before I was, and um, I noticed them, but this gal, she kind of got my attention as I, as I was walking past her, her table, and she said, excuse me, sir, she said, I enjoy books, and she said, I noticed that you brought a stack of books in with you, and that you were over there reading, and she said, what, what are you reading? And I said, well, I said, I'm a pastor here at an area church, and so one of the books I'm reading is a commentary, and the other book is, I'm reading is a Bible. And she said, oh, she said, I love reading the Bible. So immediately I knew there's a connection here, right? And uh, she, said, uh, she said, in fact, uh, my husband and I uh, were a part of an, a local church here, and she told me where they attend, and she said, uh, we actually are part of two Bible studies. She said, I don't know how we did it, but we just decided let's, stud- let's get involved in two Bible studies. And I said, well, that's a really good thing. So one thing led to the next, and I got to know them a little bit. Their names are Gene and Gail. And uh, Gene had on a, uh, a hat that said Navy on it, and a uh, Navy veteran. And I said, Gene, uh, I said, thanks for your service. And he served in Ward World II, right? I mean, just one of these men that you just want to pull up a chair and sit, sit with. And then, so he told me about his time there on the USS Orion, uh, there in the Southwest Pacific. And uh, so, so then I asked her, I said, Jean, I said, um, I said, I said what, what books are you reading? Right, I asked her that. And she said, you know, she said, we are actually, my husband and I are actually reading a book by Billy Graham. She said, the title of the book is this, Nearing Home. I said, well, what's it about? Kind of based on the title, I could kind of assume what it's about. She said, oh, well, Billy talked about, all, he talks about his life, right, his ministry in the book, but he also talks about preparing for heaven. And inside I thought, okay, Lord, I now know why my breakfast appointment skipped out on me. <laughs> it's so that I could have this wonderful conversation with Jean and Gail. As, as Gail, and it's getting hot in here. Anyone else hot now? Like it's cold and hot. Can we, <laughs> right? just like, I don't know, should I take them on, put a jacket on or not? Um, but but Jean and Gail are sitting there, and they're in their 90s. And they're reading a book by Billy Graham that helps them think about heaven. Right? They understand that they're in this waiting season of life, and they're, they're anticipating and they're preparing for what it will one day be when they finally reach home. The Advent season that we're in has a way of emphasizing the practice of waiting. For many of us, I think waiting is hard, isn't it? Uh, as I mentioned last week, we tend to be impatient people, and we're often in a hurry and ready to move on to the next exciting attraction. But for the Christian, however, waiting is a necessary practice. And last week, as we looked at 2 Peter chapter 3, the, early, the first part of it, we learned what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the day of the Lord, the day in which really we'll, we'll inaugurate, we'll, we'll commence 
uh, the beginning of all of eternity. And so we look forward to that. Right? I think we can say we, we are waiting not only for Christ's return, but we're waiting to spend uh, eternity with him. We're waiting for heaven. This morning, however, like so last week we identified what are we waiting for. This morning now, we're going to ask the question, how do we wait? Or while we wait, how should we then live? And Peter, here in verses 14 through the end of chapter 3, he helps establish for us, he helps guide and direct us to let us know this is what, this is what your life should be like while you're waiting. Here's how you should live. So the big idea for today is this, and ultimately, right, this is what should really govern us in our daily lives, is, is let the promise of heaven, or let the hope of heaven, govern you and how you live today. Right, let the hope of heaven govern you in how you live today. So we're going to see there's three different, uh, several different ways that Peter Right? He says, the day of the Lord is coming, therefore, he's going to say in verse 14, therefore, this then is how you should live. And, and we're going to see that we should live lives in which we do anticipate Christ's return. Okay? We should be like Gail and Jean, all of us. And we should be thinking, thinking about this reality. As every day goes by, I am one day closer to home. I'm nearing home. I, I certainly am. We're also going to see how Peter's going to tell us that we should be diligent in this preparation. He uses that phrase that Janae read earlier. He says, make every effort, be diligent in it. And then he's also finally going to tell us that we should stand guard and that we should grow in the grace of God. Stand guard and grow in the grace of God. Again, it's that hope of heaven. It's, it's that anticipation of what is to come, that as we think about that, that it should help determine how we live today. Let's look at this first point, shall we? That he tells us here to anticipate Christ's return. Look there in verse 14. He says, so then, maybe your translation says, therefore. He says, so then, dear friends, he says, since you are looking forward to this. All right, we'll stop right there on this first point. He says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this. In fact, if you look back at the couple of verses leading up to verse 14, I want you to notice he's establishing, he almost establishes a pattern. So as you look there at verse 12, uh, he says, as you look forward, you see that in verse 12? He says, as you look forward to the day of God, right? And then you jump down to verse 13, he says, but in keeping with his promise, we are what? We are looking forward. And then in verse 14, he again, he repeats this theme. He repeats this, this activity. Verse 14 then, he says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this. Do you notice how Paul, or Peter rather, Peter just assumes that this is a practice. Since we are looking forward, right? We, we know what it's like, don't we? Um, to go on a road trip, especially with young children, right? It doesn't take long where that dreaded question is asked from the back seat, right? Well, there's a, a couple of dreaded questions that are asked, but right, I ha well, I guess one is a statement. I have to go to the bathroom. That's more of a statement than a question. But the, the one question that often is asked is, are we there yet? Right? The children don't have to uh, sit for very long to where their mind is already fixed on getting to that final destination. 
And so they're continually and constantly asking that question. It's, it's almost like every, nearly every kid is pre, pre-programmed with the need to ask that question constantly when you're on a road trip. Are we there yet? Or it might come in, in different forms, right? How much longer or what time is it? Uh, Peter's instruction in verse 14 is now that now that we know what we're waiting for, Peter says, in a sense, we should be asking that question, are we there yet? I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this. Peter wants us to anticipate Christ's return. See, there's, there's a danger, right, oftentimes. And, and I was thinking about this um, some yesterday. I, I kind of wondered, it's like, why is it that... Um, why is it that God chose to, to um, not reveal the day of his return? And it seems like because probably um, we would put off living for the Lord until that preparation. Because m- m- many of us are procrastinators, aren't we? Right? How many of you uh, are good at pr- procrastinating? Yeah, and some of you, in, even in your mind, are thinking, Michael, I'll tell you tomorrow if I'm good at procrastinating or not. Right? We, we, we tend, and, and I, I thought, why is it that, that God doesn't reveal? Because I wonder if he wants us to always stay at the ready, that we should always be anticipating. See, there's a danger, though. The danger in this waiting is that sometimes we, we become content, we become comfortable, and slowly, ever so slowly, we actually become satisfied with this world. We, we forget about the world to come. We forget about what is going to happen when Christ does indeed return. And so he tells us, he says, since then, make it a practice, he says, to look forward to the return of Jesus. Again, what is Peter doing? Peter is stirring up in their minds. He's, he's trying to wake them up from their slumber, from their state of, of sleep. Right, A helpful exercise maybe for all of us is that we should ask ourselves the question, if, if I indeed am anticipating Christ's return, maybe a helpful applica- application question that we should ask is this, is that if Jesus comes later today, how should I, I then live this morning? Right, that if I truly am looking forward to Jesus' return, and, and in Scripture, it could be imminent, right? It could be at any moment now, if we are indeed looking forward to his return, believing that it could be any time, that it should indeed govern the decisions I make. Maybe another way to ask that question is, if Jesus does come later today, uh, not only how should I act proactively, but also how should I respond to this situation? You know, I, I wonder if maybe our tendency or our failure in looking forward to Jesus' return. I wonder if, because we tend to just kind of put that on the back burner, that if maybe we, we put our efforts, we put our focus, um, maybe we ba- make bigger deals out of things that really don't have any eternal significance because we fail to truly look forward. Let me just throw a couple considerations out there for us. Uh, I wonder if, 
if we're looking forward to Christ's return, I wonder if husbands and wives would argue about the petty things that they tend to argue about if they had Jesus' return in mind. Right? Would that change some of our petty arguments in any relationship? Would that change it? I think it probably would. Or what about this? I, I wonder, would we spend hours and hours on entertainment if we were continually reminding ourselves, hey, wait a second, Jesus is returning. In fact, at the end of the book of Matthew, there in chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about his return. And Jesus gives a, a list of parables, many of these parables that you are very familiar with. And he gives a list of parables. And really those parables, one of the goals of those parables is through those parables, he's instructing his followers to always be ready. To always be ready. Right? It's the servant. It's, it's the servants who have given, been given the different talents. Right? The master's going to come back. Are you, what have you done with that? That we should always be ready. I, so, so I do ask that question, right? Would we spend hours and hours on entertainment? It's almost like that's, that tends to just kind of be our goal. That I finally have arrived when I can just entertain myself to death. Or what about this? I, I wonder if we were looking forward to Christ's return. I wonder if family members or those who would consider themselves former friends. I wonder if those broken relationships, I wonder if we would continue to harbor bitterness and resentment toward the other person if I have Christ's return in mind. Right? If, if you truly are looking forward to Christ's return, it should cause you to make those relationships right. I wonder, would we spend our money on all that stuff that we think we need if we have Jesus' return in mind? I know this one might be a little bit simplistic, but probably some of us uh, do get frustrated, right? Would we become so easily frustrated at my neighbor's unraked leaves if we had in mind that Jesus Christ was returning? And I say that because we have the tendency to, to make mountains out of molehills. That really, in, in view of eternity, situations that really don't matter. Would our conversations around, would, would our conversations sound different if we were looking forward to Christ's return? Would our mood toward today's news headlines be different if we're looking forward to Christ's return? See, Peter, he there, here in his, essentially his application, right? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return of Christ, the day of the Lord, the inauguration of all those wonderful things that are to come for the believer. So this first step, he says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, we, we, have, we have in our minds this continual anticipation of Christ's return. And then he goes on, and this is the second point. He goes on and he instructs them to be diligent in their preparation. To be diligent in their preparation, right? Think of how you prepare for when guests are coming to your home. Last night, uh, Marcella and Ignacio hosted the ladies' favorite thing party. And I won't ask Marcella, but I, if, if Marcella and Ignacio are anything like our home, when, when we have guests that we're anticipating coming in, right? 
there is a flurry of activity. <laughs> There's a flurry of, of, of cleaning that takes place. There's a flurry of even getting laundry baskets and just sticking, sticking junk into it and shoving it into the closet and shutting the door, right? right? There's a flurry. Why? Because we're anticipating. We're, we're being diligent in our preparation. Or think about how you prepare for a vacation, don't you? Very few times do we just kind of get in the car and, and drive away for a week or two. There's, there's a preparation that is required. Students, right, those of you who are in high school or middle school or college, um, think of how you prepare for a final exam. Right, Lacey? You probably have final exams coming up. Think of how you prepare. Well, maybe I should stick a caveat. Think of how you should prepare for a final exam. Maybe, maybe that's what I need to say. Think of how you should prepare for a final exam. Again, there's this date, there's this, this exam coming up. And so as you anticipate that, it's governing how you're spending your time, what you're focusing your mind on. And so Peter tells us this. This second word of instruction is that we must be diligent in our preparation. And you see it there in verse 14. Peter goes on and he tells us to what? To make every effort, to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, Peter's not giving us some sort of works-based instruction, okay? He's not saying that you need to earn your salvation, but instead what Peter is doing is he's, he's declaring that because you are a believer, because you are saved, because we know that Jesus is going to return, and because we're in this season of anticipation and, and, and preparation and our, and our waiting, Peter tells us, he says that this preparation should be done in such a way that you're making every effort. He's saying, be diligent in your preparation. This diligence speaks of an intensity of purpose. It speaks of an intensity of purpose that is then followed by an intensity of effort and concentration. That while we wait for the day of the Lord, we should be giving our effort toward preparing for Christ's return. I think, church, often we forget that there's a continuity between the life that we live here on earth and the life that we will one day inherit for all of eternity that there's a connection here in how we spend our lives, all right? That, that, that what we do matters not only in this world, but in the world to come. And Peter, he then, he says, make every effort. Well, how should we make every effort? He says to what? To be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So he gives us specific ways. In a nutshell, what Peter's telling us is that this means maintaining holy and godly behavior before the Lord that is needed to have a clear conscience before God. That the pattern of our lives should be that of regularly taking stock, taking inventory of our hearts and our actions acknowledging, hey, is this, a, is, this, is this attitude, are these words, are these thoughts, are these activities, 
are they indeed defined, described with these types of words? Spotless, blameless, at peace with God. In fact, it's interesting that, then that notice what Peter does. Peter then, he kind of brings in a little bit of extra help here. All right, verse 15. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as, just as our dear brother Paul. Again, we talked about that, right? That the Lord's patience in, his, in, in Jesus' return is a time of salvation that we should be grateful that we are waiting because others are coming to know the Lord and we should be willing to wait because of that truth. But then he goes on, he says, he says, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Peter goes on, it says, Paul, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. I appreciate how Peter brings the teachings of the apostle Paul to the minds of the listeners here in verses 15 and 16. I think we should all appreciate how the early church fathers, how those apostles, how those disciples, how those early church fathers, how they uh, looked to one another, how they teamed together. You see, the, the early church fathers understood that they were not in competition with each other, but instead they were partners in ministry. We see here that Peter gives a nod to Paul and he essentially says, don't just take it from me, right? Don't just take this talk about Jesus' return or about how, how we should prepare ourselves or that God's patience is salvation for other people. He says, don't just take it from me, but, but you, you remember that guy Paul is what he's saying and, and those letters that you've heard, you've read. So he brings Paul in as support of his instruction. If I might just say here, uh, ever so briefly, don't let me be the only voice of, of truth that is speaking into your life. Listen to other Bible teachers. You are not, it, it, it is never a put down to me when you tell me that you've been listening to other great, other great, other pastors who are much better than me. All right are better than me because we need it on Thursday afternoon I was able to spend two hours at the Dill house in church I just want to say to you that was an incredible blessing to my soul to sit and to learn and to discuss with Steve Dill with Dr. Dill and with Linda there also contributing within that conversation that was an incredible blessing in fact halfway through I actually got up to leave and then Dr. Dill brought up this other topic of conversation. And you know what he did? He said, you need to come back and, and sit back down in this seat for a little bit longer. <laughs> and I did. And it was incredible. And church, I think as we anticipate Christ's return, as we make every effort to prepare ourselves for it, that involves other people. That involves other people strong believers who can speak into your life and who, who can help you. When it was finally time for me to leave, I told Steve and Linda, I said, I'm, actually, I'm going to sit up, I'm going to stand up from this chair and I'm going to run to your door or else you're going to call me back. 
And I appreciate how Peter brings Paul into this conversation and how important it is for us as a church family to team up with other believers who can speak words of truth into our hearts. And now let's go back and we consider Peter's instruction where he says to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. There's a few other, a couple other verses, honestly, that, that come to mind as I was preparing this sermon. One of the passages that came to mind was Hebrews chapter 11. Um, of course, we, we know that passage as kind of that hall of faith. But within, within that passage, um, the author brings up Moses. And in fact, let, can we, I think we've got time. I know you're going to say, Michael, you typically don't have time. But, but can we just turn, because we're so close to it. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. You're, you're only just a book or two away, okay? Just turn uh, to the left, it would be, right? Got to get my L up to make sure. Turn, just turn to the left a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 27. I think this... I believe this can be helpful to us. As we think about being being diligent in preparation and spotless and blameless and at peace, look here, uh, verse 24 and 27. The author writes this. He says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Says he chose to be mistreated along with the power of God, along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Do you notice that, right? Moses could have had all all of the, the accommodations of Pharaoh's household. But Moses says, no, no, I'm going to turn away from that. And then, then we continue in verse 26, It says, and I think this is really fascinating, how Jesus is brought into the conversation of Moses. Said, he, Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And notice this next line. Because he was looking ahead. He was looking forward to his reward. What was governing Moses, even Moses' decision, all the way back there, what was governing Moses' decision to turn from, it says there, from the fleeting pleasures of sin? He was looking ahead. He was looking ahead to his reward. And he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. Right? Are you ever tempted to dabble, maybe even just a little bit, in the sinful pleasures of this world? Maybe it's because our hearts are far too easily pleased, like Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased with the trappings and the pleasures that this world offers. Another, maybe another thought here, even regarding Moses, 
is that Moses chose to just simply be faithful in the situation, in the circumstances that God had placed him in. That, that Moses chose faithfulness to the Lord rather than, to, right? Moses' concern was that he would be spotless and blameless before the Lord because he knew that there would be a greater reward that was coming. See, maybe some of you, even right now, uh, you're tempted to dabble into those other sinful areas. Maybe those shiny objects of this world are having an impact, are kind of uh, drawing you to them. And, and rather than being diligent in your preparation, you're, you're following and seeking the pleasures of this temporary world. I think what Moses there in Hebrews chapter 11, he helps us to see that regardless of the situation, just be faithful to the Lord right where you are. Because I think some of us, maybe life isn't turning out like we had hoped it would. Like maybe we had once envisioned. Maybe you had long hoped to be married and you're not. Or maybe you are married and your marriage is not what you had hoped it would be. Maybe your career is nothing more than just a J-O-B and you're wishing that you had a different job, different career. Maybe your health is not favorable. You had visions of retirement looking like this, but instead, maybe because of your health, retirement may never come. Maybe your children are wayward. Maybe your emotional state is that of depression. Maybe your finances, I mean, I, I could go on. And maybe because life hasn't turned out like you had thought or, or is maybe a little bit less favorable than you had in mind, you're, you're, you're tempted to say, well, I'm going to chase this pleasure of the world. Seems like Moses helps us and Peter also helps us in looking forward and anticipating Christ's return, anticipating our reward that we should be diligent in the preparation now and that we, shall be, we should be found faithful right where we are. All right, think about this. We're re- we, we are going to be rewarded for our faithfulness. Not for anything else, but your faithfulness. You're not going to be rewarded for having a happy marriage. You won't be you'll be rewarded for being faithful in the marriage you're in. You're not going to be rewarded for being successful in your career. right? You might say, well, this isn't the career that I had hoped God would give me. You won't be rewarded for being successful in your career. Instead, you're going to be rewarded in being faithful and working for the Lord in whatever J-O-B you might have. You're not going to be rewarded for the size of your bank account. You won't. It's not not like you're going to get up there and, whoa, such and such had this much money in the bank. Praise the Lord. No. You will be rewarded, though, how you faithfully steward however much God gives you. You won't be rewarded for having a clean bill of health, whether physically or emotionally, but you will be rewarded for how you faithfully considered it joy in the midst of the trials of health struggles. You won't be rewarded for having children who graduate from Ivy League schools. 
or get their names on athletic banners. You will be rewarded for how you faithfully pointed your children to Christ. See, oftentimes, right, we can lose sight of what diligent preparation really looks like. And we can forget. And when we know what is to come for the believer and the internal inheritance and destination, the hope of heaven, what happens is we don't try to impress God or anyone else with our lives, but instead we just merely strive to be faithful to him, to be found faithful to the Lord. See, that's, that's what Peter, that's what really what Peter is, is getting at. He says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. In other areas of Scripture, the the Apostle Paul even writes about how our eternal inheritance should teach us to not gratify the desires of the flesh. To not not allow room for those sinful passions and for those sinful desires. Again, it's this idea, spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Like, it reminds me er, earlier uh, this week, uh, our children, one of our, we have a bench at our, at our table and the children sit at the bench and there's three children who sit on that bench and on this one particular day, two of the children decided they didn't want the other one to sit on the bench and so they took up as much space as they could on the bench claiming there wasn't room for them on the bench, right? They, they made the decision that they were not going to allow their sister, okay? They were not going to allow their sister a spot on the bench, and that's, I thought of that. That's kind of like where we're told spotless and blameless. And where Paul, in Romans 13, he says, don't allow space to gratify the desires of the flesh because we have a greater reward, because we're anticipating heaven. And it's, it's, it's like that idea. Don't allow opportunity for temptation and sin. Don't give room on the bench. Let holy living, let spotless pursuits, let that take up as much space on the bench as you can so that sin can't pull a chair up beside you. In his book, Heaven, Randy Alcorn states that our high tolerance of sin testifies to our failure to prepare for heaven. This is what, this is is exactly what Peter is telling us. Make every effort. And church, I wonder, uh, are you making every effort to prepare yourself, to be diligent in preparation? Then the final point is this, point number three, stand guard and grow in grace. We see it there in verses 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, Peter says, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Some translations have steadfastness from your steadfastness, from your secure position. He says, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to whom be glory both now and forevermore. He calls us, right? He tells us, anticipate Christ's return. Looking forward. He tells us to be diligent in our preparation. Make every effort. And then he gives us this final instruction. Stand guard and be growing in grace. 
He says, stand guard against false teachers. Pay attention to what you're allowing to influence your heart, to influence your mind. Pay attention to that. And then he says, to be growing in your walk with the Lord. Now, why is it important that we stand guard and we grow in grace? I think there's probably a number of reasons why it's important for that. But the reason I want to suggest here as I near the end of this sermon, the reason why we should stand guard and grow in grace is because the knowledge of the Lord, that's, that's what it's getting at. It's because we want to stand guard against false teachers who might be teaching us mistruths or errors or lies about who Jesus is. And we don't want that, do we? We want to know who the real Jesus is. So we should stand guard against that. And then we should be growing in our relationship, that we should be deepening our relationship with him because it's the knowledge of the Lord it's the depth of our relationship that will indeed sustain us in our waiting it's the knowledge of the relationship that we have with God that ultimately will sustain our souls I'll bring up again that illustration right preparing for a vacation Some of you, maybe you've prepared for a trip to Disney World or Disneyland, whichever one of those Disneys is in Florida. Maybe you've prepared for that, and and what do you do? You spend a lot of time studying it, so that way, when you get there, you can have this incredible experience. Or maybe you take a a road trip to a faraway place, a vacation. You study, uh, especially if you're going to a foreign land. You might even learn the language. You might even introduce yourself to foods that you'll, you'll find there. And it's as your knowledge and understanding of the place increases, so does your desire and your anticipation of it. Before you know it, as you're planning for that faraway land, as you're planning for that trip, before you know it, everything you do, your mind is just fixed on it. See, Peter, stand guard against those who are going to tell you that Jesus isn't returning. Stand guard against that, is what he's saying. And prepare yourself by growing and falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and the knowledge of who our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ is. If I might, let me just read what one commentator says. He says, Peter closes with this command, may grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And Peter then closes with the command to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. The commentator says this. He says, if we but knew a fraction of the future God is making for us, if we could begin to feel that all of our deepest longings will one day be satisfied. If we could understand that every beauty of this world will be not only preserved, but even heightened. That every good affection will soar. That every proper relationship will be restored forever. That all the pain and frustration and ugliness of this world will one day vanish. And Jesus will fill the world with golden light. If we could truly believe what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.9. 
no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That then our hearts would be freed from the greed that we have and the fears that cause us to sin. We would escape from the corruption that is in the world and we would become partakers of the divine nature. And how do we get a glimpse of that? By growing in our relationship with the Lord. Guarding and growing. Let the hope of heaven. So what do we do while we wait? Let the hope of heaven govern you in how you live today. Anticipate His return. Be diligent in your preparation. Be diligent in your preparation and guard and grow in the grace of God. As I was leaving Bob Evans on Friday morning, evidently I ate my oatmeal a little bit more quickly than they ate their meal. As I was leaving, I passed Jean and Gail's table and I said, Jean and Gail, keep reading that book by Billy Graham on on preparing for heaven. Gail's eyes lit up. She said, oh, we will. And then she said this. She said, if I don't see you again in this world, I look forward to seeing you again in heaven. Look forward, church. Look forward. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that you would take these truths And Lord, that we would use these truths to evaluate our own lives and cause us, Lord, to turn from sin and to make headway in living more diligently for you. God, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who helps us uh, when we feel as if we're helpless and we can't do this. We can't do this on our own. So God, give us your spirit. And give us each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.